In our next guest's last book, he quoted from legendary political fixer Mark Hanna in saying, there are only two important things in politics. The first is money, and I can't remember the second. Joining us now is uh, Charles Lewis from the Center of Public Integrity to talk about the buying of the president 2004, who is really bankrolling Bush and his Democratic challengers and what they expect in return. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Mr. Charles Lewis. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, that's true. This book has been been on that list for a few weeks. It's very exciting. Well, it is indeed. This has become an annual election affair, I guess, with the Center for Public Integrity, talking about the elections. Well, it's true. We, we uh, you know, the center's been around for uh, close to 15 years. This is the third presidential campaign book, and it all stems from the basic idea that wouldn't it be nice to know who's behind the presidential candidates and their political parties uh, before the election, not after after we end up with everybody, not just the, the candidate, but his or her uh, patrons, their, their friends, colleagues, and most importantly, sponsors. Most times, it seems like we don't know that information, or we certainly ought to know more than we know. Well, I think that's a very worthy goal, since politicians don't seem to act like race car drivers and put, like, STP oil treatment on the side of their vehicle. <laughs> yeah, although some have proposed that. And it's, it's, it's a hilarious notion, actually. How did you get associated with the Center for Public Integrity? Well, I started it, actually. I, I started it from my house uh, back in 1989. I, I was a producer for the CBS show 60 Minutes uh, for senior correspondent Mike Wallace, and I walked away pretty uh, dramatically one day. I mean, I quit my job, and you know, within a few months, the center started to emerge as a concept. The idea was, how can you investigate something as fully as it ought to be in a pure way investigated, taking weeks, months, even years if necessary to to pull it all together? And uh, unfettered by time and space, you don't have to worry about people crying on camera or victims <laughs> or, you know, shooting people tight or, you know, uh-huh. all the things that other daily media in all different forms have to worry about. And so the idea was how to, to assemble a, an investigative reporting operation that had never been done before or seen before. And we have a staff of 40 people and we have 92 investigative reporters in 48 countries uh, that can work with us on projects. Uh, that we communicate with encryption technology, and we've done 250 investigative reports in 12 books, and uh, our work's been honored about 23 times over the last just seven years even. Uh, We just posted all the Iraq contracts last fall, just won the George Polk Award. But the idea is, you know, we're two blocks from the White House uh, and in the nation's capital, and we're, we're looking at stuff that most of the media doesn't have time to look at, bottom line. Well, our, our hat's off to you. That's wonderful. Ah, well, thanks. Well, I think your book's worth buying uh, just for the introduction alone, because I read this, and there was a lot in there, and I try and keep up with it that I was totally unaware of. Can, can, can I ask you about something that I think that if I didn't hear about this, I'm sure most of our listeners haven't heard about them either, 527 organizations. Tell us what those are. Well, these are these outside political organizations uh, that... Uh, you know, try to influence elections and, and get involved in politics, usually as, uh, at least frequently, to help the political parties that they're closest to uh, ideologically or, or politically or otherwise. And so there are actually now 
20,000 of these outside groups. Uh, there's about five or 600 of them that are actually really very active. And outside, these outside groups, notice 527, that's an IRS tax code number in case anybody's wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, these groups were created in uh, 2000. Uh, remember in the 2000 election, there were a lot of outside spending uh, Republicans for clean air uh, right. materialize out of nowhere. Right. And and so Congress actually passed a law uh, back in the 2000 to require these groups to register who's supporting them financially. Uh, and so the Internal Revenue Service actually does it. And the problem is they don't do it very well. And, and also there's problems with disclosure. We actually at our website, publicintegrity.org, list all these mysterious groups and we actually check for new data every day that's coming into the IRS and so if there's a strange sounding group out there that's running ads and you want to see who they are type it in but the the the, the worrisome part is that you can do what what I call political mugging uh you know in Iowa right. uh you know Howard Dean was kind of mugged by a, a group of 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 donors who threw together six hundred thousand dollars in a few weeks and started running ads uh club, some of the club for growth well, yeah. Well, this one was actually funded, interestingly, by Democrats, huh. uh, uh, donors, and fundraisers in this instance who were upset about Dean and wanted to stop his uh, momentum. And so, uh, folks close to Gephardt, Kerry, and and also Wesley Clark got together and pooled their money, and uh, it was called Americans for Jobs, and it was. Uh, put together in a little office on uh, at, you know M Street in the heart of downtown DC uh, and uh, all the records were not available till after the Iowa caucuses unfortunately uh-huh. <laughs> everyone wanted to know who was doing these ads and some of the ads had Osama bin Laden's uh, face with Howard Dean's face <laughs> pretty nasty you know tough ads yeah and so the question uh, th- there will be many more of these political muggings throughout the year because outside groups are going to spend somewhere in the one to two hundred million dollar range between now and the fall so it's going to get pretty ugly i think people don't realize is that these groups may act in concert with their various party organizations and yet are not considered to be a part of them so the same laws do not apply that's right they're they're seen by mccain and feingold and the reformers as as shadow party entities now in fact they uh, the reformers see it as a uh, you know, an attempt to do an end run around the new McCain-Feingold law that was upheld by the Supreme Court recently. And right. Which restricted soft money, among other yeah, things. Yeah, the soft money donors, those folks writing those big six-figure checks that used to go to the parties, so a lot of that money now has gone to these outside groups. So keep watching, because it, it's starting to wreak havoc, uh, you know, in the whole system, uh, and it's starting to frustrate a lot of people. Do you anticipate an especially dirty campaign? I guess I think many people do. Well, yeah, the, I think the reason that, for thinking that is pretty straightforward. Uh, usually negative ads directly uh, uh, mano a mano between two candidates, the two primary candidates, uh, usually don't occur till September or October. <laughs> yeah. And they're already starting. Uh, yeah. In fact, they already started in February, late mid to late February. So... We're starting, and the other thing you're seeing is a lot of the really nasty, vicious personal ads are actually on the Internet. There are a lot of reasons to explain that. Ads are cheaper on the Internet. Mm-hmm. You can have visual images pretty easily and pretty cheaply, but also the candidate under the new legislation, the candidate, if it's on TV, has to get behind his ad and say, I, 
my name is George W. Bush or John Kerry and I stand behind this ad. Well, if it's on the Internet, you don't have to do that. And so you're going you're gonna to see some some of the the worst stuff will probably be on the internet and the slightly more high road stuff will be on on the airways and then the outside groups will also do some real nasty negative stuff because they're they'll function as cutouts you know uh sending the message that they'd like to send but the candidate uh doesn't want to be necessarily associated with now of course these are all independent expenditures quote unquote i mean they're not supposed to be coordinated but they all seem to happen around the same time Right. And all the people seem to know each other. <laughs> right. Right. You, in your introduction, you have quite an interesting look at something that I think has been glossed over, uh, a look back at Campaign 2000. And you, you had a long talk, it sounds like, with Senator John McCain about what happened to him. He was doing extremely well against George W. Bush in the early primaries. He beat him in New Hampshire. Right. But it was seen that if, if Bush couldn't win in South Carolina, he was in deep trouble. Well, looking here at page 21... Just talking about the millions of dollars that were poured into the state of South Carolina and some of the techniques that were used. Uh, you, you want to tell us a little bit about what sure. happened in South no, Carolina? Sure. No, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, essentially, uh, when all is said and done, about twenty to twenty-five million was spent by, uh, you know, close to a dozen outside groups that were all friendly uh, and basically allies of the Bush campaign. And at the same time, uh, McCain spent like $3 million. So he was outspent 7 or 8 to 1. They did phone banking, uh, radio ads, leaflet drops to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of South Carolina Republicans voting mm-hmm. in that important primary. And what happened is that some of the stuff was just the most scurrilous, outrageous stuff. It, things like uh, you know, Mrs. McCain is a drug addict, uh, John McCain is insane, and, you know, sort of Manchurian candidate type from, right. you know, from being a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Wow. And, uh, you know, cavorted with a prostitute and has an illegitimate uh, child of color and just really horrible stuff. And McCain tried to, he got incredibly upset about it, and he tried to defend himself, but then he looked defensive and whiny, and uh, he right. could never quite find out who started it. And right. uh, it was just just horrible. And uh, when the campaign started, he was even in the polls with Bush in, right. in that state. And when it was over, he was just 19 days later, he lost the state by 11 points. And that was really the, the beginning of the end of his national campaign. Yeah, I guess a whispering campaign that he'd committed treason while he was a POW. And <laughs> right. Sounds like, according to your book, even really hardened uh, politicians were sort of stunned by, by what happened in Florida. Uh, a quote here from McCain's deputy campaign manager, which I thought was impressive. Roy Fletcher said the National Press Club Forum, I've never seen anything like it, and I come from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, if you know American politics, that says a lot. Yeah, no, that that comment was amazing. And another quote was, uh, compared it to a jailhouse rape. <laughs> right. Which, and these are operatives uh, who've been in politics for 20 and 30 years. Uh, right. Never seen anything like it. And McCain tries to not complain too much about it because he said, no, America does not like a sore loser. Yeah, I mean, the other part of the story that was disturbing to him was, that uh, you know, Bush ran a lot of ads that said "reformer with results." Even even though on the subject of cleaning up politics, you know, McCain had devoted five or six years of his national career in Washington to to legislation about uh, campaign finance reform, and Bush was an opponent of it and had never even given a speech about it actually in Texas. And at the end of 
uh, 19 days of pummeling reformer with results, reformer with results all over the air- airwaves and outspending McCain more than five to one in ads. The exit polls not only showed that not, not only did he lose the primary, but most voters in South Carolina thought that the reformer between the two candidates was Bush. Right. And so facts and the actual record of the two of the two men were was actually not terribly relevant <laughs> to the outcome. Yeah. Which is, you know, worrisome uh, if you can buy the truth with ads an ad war um, and it just shows you how important ads are or can be in our in our process and the media the watchdog function of the media was not obviously in much display there the media could have laid that out and told people what was happening as it was happening and pointed out that whose record was better and or worse and the media for the most part never picked up on these issues until after the thing was over it seems quite clear reading your book that uh, you're certainly, uh, you know, have uh, you're certainly trying to be uh, bipartisan in, in who you attack. You have you have sections here on every single one of the de- the Democratic candidates, and uh, I believe it was uh, the Center for Public Integrity that first revealed to the nation that uh, the Clinton people were, were more or less auctioning off nights in the Lincoln bedroom if you were a big contributor. That's true. Yeah, we did that back in nineteen. 19- 96 we did a newsletter called fat cat hotel and we <laughs> we listed 75 men and women who slept over and how much they gave and we have a rule we always interview people uh if they're mentioned in a potentially negative way and some of them complained that the bed was lumpy and you know <laughs> mo- <laughs> most people didn't want to talk to us at all of course and we we do, try not to take it personally right uh but uh yeah we, we did do that and you know we were the first to disclose enron was bush's top donor and but we alienate both parties equally or uh i mean we don't deliberately sit out to do that but our information does sometimes uh not sit well with in fact almost always uh with politicians sure it does appear that no one in the current administration, at the back of the book, it seems as though uh, people in the past are willing to talk to you. Bob Dole talks to you, as certainly uh, uh, John McCain talks to you in the book, but it sounds like no one in the current administration or in Washington <laughs> wants to talk to you anymore. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, the more we do these books, the more, you know, they would rather fight in Iraq than, you know, submit to an interview. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, think about it. We did 600 interviews. We went through millions of records, literally 2 million records just on campaign finance records contribution records alone and we had 53 researchers writers editors working for and more than a year and we went, had 200 freedom of information act requests pulling in 10,000 pages alone just from that so this was a very very exhaustive thing so uh, what candidate would want to sit down on the record and discuss the powers that be that are behind uh, his or her candidacy I mean it's not terribly pleasant we're not asked this is the stuff that's uh, the truth about all these folks that's not on their in their ads not on their website and not in their speeches uh, but it it is who surrounds them and who's important to them and what favors have they done for these folks and you know again the the idea that it, it, what a quaint notion that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if the public knew this before the election? Right. We also should plug uh, plug your book again. It's titled The Buying of the President 2004, and I think that uh, any of our listeners interested in politics, and I believe they ought to be, should have a copy to see who basically is uh, friendly to who. Oh, thanks. No, I, I, I do, too. I... You know, we we know more about our appliances we buy or the food we eat than we do our politicians, even though we sometimes get burned by both. Uh, (laughs) It's helpful to know, you know, who's doing what. 
And, you know, actually some of this is also incredibly interesting. I mean, some of the relationships are jaw-dropping in some cases. Which one shocks you the most, or which one do you find most surprising? Are there a couple that stand out? They're all pretty good. I mean, yeah. Kerry's top contributors is his brother's law firm, and he's done right. a number of favors. Uh, telecommunications, thought, very friendly to telecommunications yeah, industry. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, any thoughts about being interested in the media ownership issue or the that whole subject of media reform, uh, most media reformers don't really look to carry uh, for various reasons, which we talk about in the chapter right. on that issue. Um, but, you know, uh, Gephardt was amusing to me. Uh, his top donor is Anheuser-Busch, uh, one of the biggest employers in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He'd taken in half a million from them, and, and whenever there was an alcohol tax uh, proposed to pay for health care or something, he was always there protecting the industry. Sure. Uh, Enron, top supporter to George W. Bush, you know, the disgraced, bankrupt company that Everyone's waiting for the shoe to drop when and if Kenneth Lay, the CEO, will be indicted since so many other executives have been prosecuted. And this is the the company that has given more money to George W. Bush than any other uh, any other politician in the country. And there we we unearthed uh, scores of letters between Kenneth Lay and George W. Bush. Bush used to call him Kenny Boy until the Enron scandal broke, and then it was suddenly Mr. Lay <laughs> in public. And, and, and uh, Mr. Lay still can't, they still can't seem to find a way to indict Mr. Lay, I've yeah, noticed. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, it's true. So, you know, the the Enron relationship is, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, the, the Wall Street financial ties to Bush, uh, we noticed since the 2000 book that six or seven out of his top ten patrons are financial institutions. Uh, it could be the Bush policies about privatizing Social Security or the policies to not be tough about offshore money uh, or the dividend and uh, capital gains tax cut policies that are favored by some of these interests like yeah. mortgage houses or the bank- bankruptcy reform bill that will make it harder for folks to write off their credit card debt that's favored by MBNA, which is now actually just recently supplanted. Enron is the top contributor uh, to, to Bush. I mean, so all that stuff that, again, you're not going to see in any of the ads, (laughs) and it does help to explain there is a confluence between powerful forces and the money that's been flowing into uh, these campaigns by the individuals that work, executives really, in all these companies. And, uh, you know, with Kerry, uh, it is interesting for Democrats that in the top ten there's not a single labor union for Kerry. Uh, now, Gephardt hmm. or Kucinich, that would not be the case at yeah. all. Kucinich, 9 out of 10 were labor unions. The donor profile of, of a politician tells you an awful lot about their policies and their beliefs and their values and who they hang out with uh, and who they're beholden to, frankly. Well, I, I think you've done a, an admirable job uh, in this book. And again, we want to recommend that anyone interested in this should go out and grab a copy of The Buying of the President 2004. I'm sure it's in uh, bookstores everywhere. It is, actually, well, to, <laughs> as a matter of fact. To Charles Lewis, thanks for so much for coming on to Radio Parallax. I hope perhaps that as this campaign unfolds, we may be able to go to you again and, and for some other breaking developments, because I'm sure there will be a few. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'd be happy to do that. Call any time. Oh, well, that, okay, well, great. <laughs> All right. Take care. Well, we hope that we will in the future again talk to Charles Lewis. His Center for Public Integrity has done some great work, and we certainly recommend you go out and get a copy of The Buying of the President 2004. Uh, In the beginning of that book, Mr. Lewis quotes our first president, George Washington, when he said, Few men 
have virtue to withstand the highest bidder. We were lucky that George Washington did, and we could use a few more like him today. We have to take a short break, but we will return in our third segment for a most curious talk with Christy Canyon, a legend of adult entertainment, about that um, semi-legal segment of our economy, which uh, is surprisingly important in terms of the amount of dollars it generates. It's an area of entertainment that is widely enjoyed, yet an area that people will seldom stand up and defend. I'm not sure that's at all reasonable, so we're pleased to have Christy on as a guest. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And I'm Douglas Everett.